This is the premier podcast for late model dirt track racing. This is Forward Bite, hosted by superfan and actual know-it-all Kyle Armstrong on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Forward Bite Podcast on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kyle Armstrong. This week, we're going to talk with Brownie Brown here in just a little bit, but before that, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my weekend. This was a really busy weekend in the racing side of life, especially to be in the month of December. On a weekend when the entire industry's attention would normally be focused on Indianapolis and the PRI show, there was a new trade show here in Hickory, North Carolina called the Cars Show. I went to it Friday night to check it out for a couple of hours and was really impressed with the amount of high-quality vendors on hand. It was great to see and catch up with friends and industry people. Nearly everyone I saw wanted to compliment the podcast, so thank you for listening, and we're only just getting started with this thing. Really good show up there. I enjoyed seeing all the uh, stuff and and the vendors, and I wish I would have had more time to see it, but it was time to go there pretty early. Uh, Also, I want to give a shout-out, a big shout-out to a couple of fellow podcasters for reaching out and saying that they're really enjoying the show I'm doing. It means a lot to me to have good feedback from my peers Thank you, Dirt Nerds, Elliot and Dwayne guys. Uh, man, I've been listening to y'all for a long time, and I hope you uh, hope you really are enjoying this and aren't just saying that, because, man, I, I'll tell you what, it's uh, you guys do a good show, too. And then the Chicken Bone Alley, Sterling and David. I haven't listened to theirs as long as I have the Dirt Nerds. I just recently called on to it, but those guys both reached out, and, and they were really friendly and and telling me that my was, I had a good podcast going. So I appreciate that, and let's keep it going. I mean, we need all these to, uh, to be going, and you know, let's all help each other, right? So be sure to check both of those podcasts out, you know, after you listen to mine, of course. Well, Saturday morning, my dad and I got up really early, a lot more earlier than you'd normally get up to go to a dirt race, uh, but about 7.30 or so, 8 o'clock, and we made the uh, two-hour trip to Livonia Speedway in Georgia for the Dry Dean Extreme Dirt Car Series event. We got down there about 11.30 and hot laps got underway about 12.30. I was able to go through the pits and, you know, see a lot of people and have some conversations. And, and there again, a lot of people were complimenting the podcast about everybody I saw. So that's good that people are listening to it. And honestly, you know, with this thing, I think we've got some content there in the bag, and if somebody hasn't listened to all of them yet, I would say before you go to Speed Weeks here in a few months, it'd be a good opportunity to go ahead and download some of those back episodes and listen back to them, because, I mean, there was some good stuff and a lot, and pretty much every one of them so far. I mean, I really do believe that. It was, it, I mean, there's been some good stuff, so... It was a very, very timely program at Livonia, which was great to see, especially at a, at a racetrack in the South, uh, you know, they didn't have too many divisions. It was a really good program. We got out of there before the sunset, great entertainment all afternoon, a beautiful day too. In the sixties in the month of December is usually pretty rare, but not this Saturday. It was just the perfect day for a race. Michael Brown picked up the $5,000 payday in the dry Dean extreme dirt car series, 40 lap event. And I was able to catch up with him after the win. I've caught up with the winner today in the Extreme Dirt Car Series event at Livonia Speedway. Just in time for Christmas, Michael Brown. You've been trying hard to win a race all year, and you finally put it all together today. Good job. Thank you, man. I uh, 
I was starting to doubt myself there. Um, you know, you try and try so hard, and this this deal with this super racing is, you know, been fortunate enough to race since I was four, and this is by far the toughest, I've, you know, the toughest form of racing I feel like there is. I mean, uh, obviously that's arguable, I guess, but to, to me, th this field of cars is just is phenomenal. To to win one of these races just means the world to me. How does that, how does that cold beer taste right now? It's been a long time coming since you won one of these. Hell yeah, man. This ain't no bush latte, but uh, it, it, it'll work for right now. I hear you, man. Well, uh, congratulations on the win, and I think you've got. It. I was talking. I was talking to you earlier when you went by in the pits, and I said, uh, "I said, there's your winner right there today." I don't know how serious I was when I said that, but you were pretty serious. I was, man. I mean, you know, you know how racing is. Obviously, you you really do. I feel like we've always been competitive. So every time I go, I mean, I really do have the intent that I feel like I can win, whether it's going to happen or not. You know, sometimes you just kind of like, ah, but. You know, you always feel like you have that chance, and uh, man, man, to really get it done, it, it just—it's such a sweet feeling. You put it all together. What'd you think when his right rear tire went down like that? Man, I didn't know. Uh, you know, I was kind of biding my time. He came over and talked to me and said his uh, brakes was went out, but I noticed he started scooting, getting in a lot. We had a caution, and I could see his right rear tire riding around, and it wasn't as. I mean, what I call critical condition. So I was just, you know, just buying my time, and he finally slipped and, and drove right around him. And, uh, man, I could watch my stick guy within a lap. I mean, I may be wrong once I watch this video, but within a lap, it, you know, he was showing me that. I stretched it pretty decent. So, I uh, mean, we had a great car, especially in, in clean air. On race monitor with three to go there, you were four seconds ahead. Oh, my God. Yeah, I, I had no idea. I know, uh, you know, stick guy Tyler Bashir, he's kind of calming me down, you know, just hit your march, don't, you know, don't blow your tires, nothing like that. And, man, it worked out. So uh, we'll take it and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully get some momentum and, and do it again sometime soon. That'd be nice. Well, congratulations to you, Michael, and uh, I think there's many more to come. Thank you so much, Kyle. Finishing second in his career best finishing the dry dean extreme series was colbert george's kenny collins and i was able to get his thoughts kenny heck of a run today man you finished second what how was it out there we was pretty good uh we got got the third there right off the bat and i thought i was better than michael there for a little bit but once he got uh, once we got by the 10 and got an open racetrack he was a little better than i was we uh we went kind of soft on tire and i was a little bit afraid there at the end that, uh, that it was getting slick so i slowed down but we had a great car i think uh, austin scott kimsey for giving me such a great piece to drive and clements race engines and uh, all our sponsors for sure congratulations on a second place finish today kenny thank you perhaps the most impressive head turning happening of the day was the overall fast qualifier first heat race winner and then he drew a one in the redraw a young driver named garrett smith out of eatonton georgia put the dirt late model world on notice when he started on the pole and held off a hard charging Michael Brown for the first half of the feature. I met Garrett Smith after the race for the first time to get a word with him and found out while talking to him that this was actually his first super late model start. He's only 17 years old and has the equipment and the talent to be a real threat for years to come. Here's our conversation. Caught up here with Garrett Smith. He sat on the pole today. Led the first half of the race. You did everything you're supposed to do, man, but that car just went away on you there a little bit, didn't it? Oh, uh, yes, sir. Um, um, lap 20, the brakes uh, went out. I used too much brakes. The pads are gone. And uh, after that, I knew I was going to have to keep it down on the bottom, make it hard for people to pass me. And uh, a few of them got past me. And then I was running fifth 
with uh, two laps to go and had a flat right rear tire. Came in and then uh, went back out on the track and ended up finishing 10th. Yeah, the whole entire Dirt Lake Model world was on notice today, I think. I, think, I don't think a lot of people had really heard of you before this weekend, but I, mean, I think there's big things to come for you next year. Yes, sir. It is my first Super Lake Model start this weekend, and uh, I couldn't be more happy. First start, you sat on the pole, qualified fast time. I'd say that's a pretty good start, Garrett. Well, congratulations, man. We look forward to seeing you a lot here in the future. Thank you. There was also a big race in Alabama this weekend, but I will just say... A lot of teams left their cars on jack stands in the race shop in that region this weekend. And that's all I'll say about that. Well, we'll be right back. And on the other side of the break, we're going to call an old friend of mine, Brownie Brown, and talk to him just a little bit. Today's guest is a gentleman who may not be a household name to every dirt late model fan in America, but he certainly has been around the sport for a long time and helped a lot of drivers get to the next race. He's owned cars for race teams like for drivers like Hot Rod LeMance, Ray Cook, David Smith, Jonathan Davenport, and that's just to name a few. He spent so many years traveling the roads to all of the dirt late model races that I wanted to get a word with him and hear some of those stories. So we're going to have a conversation here with Brownie Brown, the name behind the Youngblood Concrete Special Race Team, and he's got some stories. I'm excited to hear him. Brownie, what's going on, man? All right. Good to hear. Good to be here. Good to be here. Yes, sir. Yeah, we'll get this thing kicked off, you know, talking about talking about the racing, you know. Uh it's been it's been exciting, been an exciting time for sure. Young Harris, Georgia, what's that like? You've been there most of your life, hadn't you? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's just uh it was it was a small college town growing up. And uh, now it's a full-blown four-year double ACC college town now. So uh, basically, uh, Young Harris is gone, and uh, it's Young Harris College now. Yeah, that that college has grown a lot down there. Well, you, well, you got your start. You got your start in racing, going to see some races back in the '60s. You're telling me yesterday when we talked uh tri-county brass town sugar creek and others down in that area tell us a little bit about how you got started back in the days sure uh yeah back back in 1965 they built a tri-county racetrack down there and uh next to murphy in bracetown north carolina well i started there i was 10 years old first first time i got to go there and uh Later on, uh, I, I would uh, be able to pitch a ride with a, a guy who had a B-Hobby, uh, Ford Falcon, Esco Wimpy. I would, I would be able to hitch a ride with him down there to uh, Tri-County. And then, then in 1968, uh, a couple of brother-in-laws built Sugar Creek Raceway in Blue Ridge, Georgia. And uh, me and Mike Plot, we uh, we we got to go down there and sell tickets and just do odd jobs, you know. And basically, uh, we got got to see the races free there at, at, at Sugar Creek. Then on Sundays, we had a, a, a track. It was just four miles from the from the house called Ball Mountain. And uh, we got to see the skeeter cars run 
there on Sundays. They they was just the six cylinder skeeters, but still it was it was something to see then. And uh, later on, you know, just started uh, uh, watching what or reading the, reading the racing papers, you know, and uh, and and getting excited about the they call it the fastest Ford in the Carolinas, Hot Rod Lamont. Well, uh, at the time, I was in in the concrete business, and uh, I was sponsoring three brothers, uh, the Parker brothers, and I had a, a father and daughter that I was sponsoring. He ran Cadet, she ran Pony, and then uh, had the the Parker brothers had one in, in Super Lake model and uh, one in, in limited and one in two barrel. And so it was pretty fun. And uh, I'll bring up uh, one of the one of the brothers, uh, the name of the crew that I helped was called the Zoo Crew. And I believe you might even have a T-shirt. Yeah, that, that. I, got, I do have a T-shirt, but I, I loaned it out and let Chris Ferguson wear it one time and Knowing how that goes, I hadn't got it back from him yet. Maybe one day he'll uh, wash it and bring it back to me. Yeah, yeah. David Smith called me up one day and he had he had Fergie with him, and he says, uh, "I want you to tell me about this T-shirt this yeah. boy's got." Yeah, that was uh, the Zoo Crew. That that was the two-barrel uh, limited car. Yeah, that was that was some fun times there. For sure, and, and like I say, got you know had those five cars. It was uh, I was a helping down there at Tri County. Well, like I say, got to reading the racing news about Hot Rod Lamont. So Cheryl uh, uh, and I we started we started going to Riverside on Friday nights, and then on Saturday nights we would go to Cherokee. And so just one opportunity came up at uh, Friday night at. at uh, Riverside, the young brothers, Wald and Steve Young, that owned the Hot Rod Lamont car, were having a cookout, and so naturally, I, I made an acquaintance with them, and uh, lo and behold, it turned into a sponsorship. So, Cheryl uh, and I, we we wasn't going to track any as much as we once were. We was going to either to Riverside or to. Uh, uh, Gaffin maybe every once in a while he'd go to Lawndale, but we pretty well just stayed with the uh, hot rod. And uh, well, Cheryl and I we got the bug. We uh, she had a she had a cousin that uh, was racing, and uh, she had a she my wife Cheryl she's got three brothers and her baby brother was building a new house. And so uh, he was having carpet installed, and the guy that was putting the carpet in was their uh, cousin that raced, and his name was Ray Cook. Well, I'd know Ray uh, coming up. I didn't know him personally. I just know of him, you know, racing down our tri-county through the ponies. And, and then he uh, went into late models, so... Uh, one word led to another, and uh, lo and behold, we had a uh, young blood on the on the the side of his car, and we just we went from there with Ray, and uh, all of a sudden, 
you know, we said, okay, you know, are we going to do this as a hobby or are we going to try to do this, you know, serious? But sure enough, uh, when uh, we got started with Ray, it was basically Ray, myself, and Cheryl. Our first road trip was uh, to St. Augustine, Florida, and it was Ray, myself, and Cheryl. And uh, we made we made several trips, just us three, you know. And on the way back from St. Augustine, we had him right there in the cab. I said, okay, Ray, do you want to do this serious? Do you actually want to do this and, and go have a Tampa racing? He said, sure. I said, I want to do it. So that was basically all it took for uh, Cheryl and I. We bit the bullet. We uh, went ahead and uh, uh, told him to go ahead and uh, order you in a new car. That was in 93, fall of 93. So in February of 94, I'm at uh, Volusia County at the at Speed Weeks. And, and in 1994, it's hard to believe but they wasn't the one telephone that uh, we could use, and that was in front of the. And it, I'm sure it's still there in front. It's hard to believe in today's people. times, isn't it? That's right. It's just hard Everybody's to believe. Everybody's got one in their hand. That's exactly right. <laughs> and and she, you know, there there this this particular morning, I'm standing in line, and there's there's probably fifty people in line to use that one telephone, and. Uh, Barry Wright walks up to me and uh, he said, Brownie, he says, uh, I got to ask you a, a favor. He says, uh, I've got I've got a couple of projects I, I'd like to do or I need to do. And if you'll let me put that in front of y'all, I'll make it up to you. Well, what could I say? But OK, mm -hmm. so that was in February. And so lo and behold, we take delivery of our new 1994 Barry Wright car the last weekend in July. So <laughs> and then you were we, you were full blown have a Tampa race and then right. That's right. We were we were we were dabbling with it a little bit, but uh, once once we got our new Barry Wright car and. Uh, uh, Jackie Jones, he's uh, he's a guy I grew up with and uh, owns quite a few dealerships, and he's a true blue Ford man if you've ever been one, and myself being one too. I'd ask Jack, and I'd say, "Okay, Jack, when you going when you gonna help us?" He said, "When you put a Ford motor in that thing, I'll see what I can do." Well, business was starting to go pretty good there for us in concrete and uh we uh got up with a, a guy over in dawsonville Georgia, by the name of ernie elliott right and we got ernie to build us a, a brand new 358 and uh matter of fact ernie elliott was that was the very first aluminum motor that he ever built was for us. And at the time, 
Jack Cornette was putting together a asphalt motor for Scott Bloomquist. Well, uh, Cornette was uh, needing a little information on some head work. Well, here was uh, Ernie putting us uh, all aluminum motor together. His first, well, he needed a little information on this block. Well, lo and behold, they just they just swapped out information and come to find out when it was all said and done, Ernie uh, redesigned the the bearings for the cam. I thought that was pretty neat. Oh, know? it is. And uh, another first that we had there going into the half Tampa. Well, we, like I said, when we started racing at half Tampa, and we had the the Ernie Elliott Ford motor. Well, all we had was a, a Ford probe nose. That was all you could get was a, a probe nose or a generic Panaro nose that I called it. Well, I got up with the five-star people and uh, told them what we had going on. They said, well, we'll see what we can do. And lo and behold, if they didn't manufacture the uh, a Mustang nose that actually looked like a Mustang nose or a front of a Mustang. And we were the very first team to, to get that. So we had the very first Ernie Elliott aluminum motor and had the very first Mustang nose piece from five star. Thought that was pretty interesting. That's amazing. And I remember seeing pictures of that car, but I had no idea that that was the first for five star. Yes, that was the that was the first right there for for them. How was it? And, uh, that was that was pretty neat there because uh, in '96 we went to a GRT, and it was pretty neat seeing Barry Wright laying under the front of our car looking at that nose piece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you so you had a Barry Wright car that first year, and you went out on the Have a Tampa tour. How how was that year? Was it pretty successful for y'all? Well, now uh, starting out, it was it was it was rough. It, it was just hard, you know, just getting everything lined up. Cause I tell you what, you got to have you your your ducks in a row when you go out there on the road. I mean, in those days with the Have a Tampa, I mean, it was, I mean, they was teams like, like us out there, you know, trying to, to make the, make the feel. But, uh, 1996 is like I say, when we went with GRT and with, uh, Joe Garrison and, uh, that, that was the turning point for Ray Cook. He had a, he had a guy named Gary Thompson that was working close with Ray and he, I call him a mini engineer. He was, he was pretty sharp and he, he, uh, he didn't, he didn't design the front end for Ray, but he brought it off the shelf and redesigned a, a slick track setup. And, uh, Ray was, was able to keep it, Keep it under under wraps for quite a while until we were in uh, uh, done done North Carolina out there at Fayetteville, and uh, uh, we had a, a 
Dunn Benson Ford had an open house and they wanted us to be there. So that particular day while we was there at the Dunn Benson Ford, they had a, had a barbecue and everything and uh, Ray needed to uh, adjust the valves. Well, just when he took the valve cover off, noticed right quick we had a problem. So we had to change motors right then and in the heat of the moment, we forgot to cover up our A-frame. Joe Garris, he walked up, he said, I know y'all had something, I just didn't know what it was. But yes, uh, that was was pretty neat there, Joe, uh, catching what we had going on. Because like I say, Ray, he was really good in the sleep at that front end. Well, Brownie, before the break, we were talking about those GRT chassis. The GRT chassis was really the thing to have at that time, it seemed like to me. Oh, I'd say at the time, if you didn't have a GRT, you was behind. I mean, it just seemed like every, every, every race, somebody would open up a trailer and pull out an GRT. And it was, it was funny. Uh, when, when Joe got everything going good, well, he had a he had a guy that was uh, renting space from him that was a road racer, and he was a computer type of engineer, road racer, and he designed a new chassis for Joe. They called it the computer car. And basically what they done was build a, a bridge. It was just too stiff. It would not flex. And uh, one weekend, there was a racer out, out there in Arkansas, uh, number 22. His name was Alan Vaughn. Oh, Alan, he got PO'd. He went and got his chop saw, and he started cutting bars out of that thing. And once he got them cut out, he went out there for the feature and just went ahead and just waxed them. Wow. Their so that Monday morning, Ray gets a call from Joe Garrison and says, okay, I want you to take and cut this, 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 and this out. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what Ray done, you know, and it made the car up and started working better but that was the end of the computer car so yeah now all these cars are built with a computer aren't they oh yeah oh yeah it takes it takes a whole team of engineers it seems like to design a dirt lake model these days and make it go around the track yes that's that's exactly right yeah you guys didn't i mean you hadn't even heard of that kind of stuff whenever you were whenever y'all were at your prime and winning races I, I was going to go back to, I think, one of Ray's first big wins was whenever he came to Carolina Speedway and won the Shrine Race, wasn't it? Well, uh, yes, that was that was on a, a Wednesday night. And uh, that race, which which I'm, I, I'm a Shriner, and I, I was really, really looking forward to that race. And... Uh, that that particular night, uh, Mike Duvall, he he 
he, he, he breaks. I forget what happens to him. And we're running radios at the time. And Mike, he got up on the trailer and he told me, he says, you get on that radio, you tell Ray, do not get off that bottom for nothing. And the reason he was saying that was because there was a guy that was trying for probably his 20th time to win that race. His name was Buddy Smith. Oh, yeah. He said, do not tell, tell Ray, do not let Buddy have none of that bottom. And I got on there and I told Ray, and sure enough, one lap, Ray give Buddy just a little bit of daylight down there, and there he comes. Well, it knocked Ray back, and Buddy went on, took the lead. But the next lap, Buddy's A-frame fell out from under it, and Ray went on and won the race. Well, after the race was over, I go up there, you know, to get the money and everything, and I had the uh, uh, you know, had a, a conversation with him and everything and, and made a donation that night. So, well, uh, I, I like, I like racing all, all kinds of racing. So that particular weekend was, uh, the drag race at Commerce. So that was Wednesday night. So, uh, Thursday, uh, I went. Uh, the son and I, Jake, we, we go to uh, Commerce in the motorhome. Well, had a 53 sticker on the on the window, side window, and somebody seen that 53 says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, uh, uh, we was at uh, Gastonia there last night and seen you win that, seen that 53 win that race. I said, yeah, and told them, you know, who it was and everything. And uh, before I left that, that uh, Jake and I left Commerce, we had give every bit of that money back to the Shriners. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we, won, uh, we won $3,500 and, and I gave uh, 1000 back. But before, before uh, I got home, uh, I gave it all away to hear, to hear the people. I thought that was pretty good. That is cool. Yeah, that's it, it's amazing who you run into. It's a small world, isn't it? I, oh yeah. So then, then after that, uh, after the GRT, uh, after the GRT days, y'all y'all ran a CJ Rayburn car there for a, lo- a little while, and I thought it was a pretty neat story about going up there to pick that car up. If you'll tell it. Well, uh, we we never we never did go pick the CJ car up. The story behind the story behind the CJ car, because after we got uh, out of uh, the GRTs, uh, we went in to uh, Mastersville. That that was our, our next chassis after uh, after the GRT. I skipped skip a chapter the, there. What what it was what it was with the, the Rayburn car. I mean, if you went to uh, East Bay and didn't have a Raver, you was you was running behind. And uh, after the after the race was over, that 
that particular night, the last race was over. Uh, myself and Billy Moyer was waiting on them to pay us. And I told Moyer, I said, well, I know one thing. Before I come back to East Bay, I want to have me a rake. Well, lo and behold, if old Moyer... When he sees Raver and he says Brandy wants him a GR or wants him a Raver, well, uh, hey, uh, Wednesday, Raver calls me up. He says, Come and get it. I said, What are you talking about, Raver? He said, Come get this car. You said you wanted one. And uh, we would have went and got it. I mean, he had it, he had it there for us, but Ray was just totally against it. And, it, it didn't happen, but people thought we had it, though, and people thought it was in the garage, and I never did tell them no different, you know. So, if you got that raver? And I said, well, they, there's something sitting down there in the garage. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're Yeah, but that, that Keith Masters, he told he told me one time up there at uh, Bull Cap, he said, Brownie, if I can help you any way, let me know. And so... We just got to we got to where uh, Joe Boy was good to us. I mean, we was able to race the cars and sell the cars and replace them. You know, nothing was being gifted, but uh, you, you could you could make a make a profit and stay in it. But it just got to the point to where the cars was costing more than they was you, you could get out of them when you got through with them. Or they was for us. I mean, a winning race car will sell. They ain't no once. Once Ray got to running good in those GRTs, it was no trouble to sell for sure. Oh, I agree. Talk a little bit about the uh, Show Me One Hundred. You guys won that race in two thousand, and I know that was probably one of the highlights of your career, wasn't it? Well, I, that people that it will always ask you, "What's your favorite racetrack?" Well. West Plains, Missouri is by far, hands down, the, the best racing that the, you will ever see. I mean, it, 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 it would, would do it all, produce it all. And, and then 2000, uh, Ray started 13th in that race. Well, the race was 100 laps, and I'm thinking it was 39 maybe 40 minutes it took to run the race i'm thinking it went caution free and ray starting 13th and at the time at the, the rocket house car had uh, the juice uh, david johnson driving it and uh terry phillips he had done one uh I believe the year before uh, the show meet, and he was he was stout, and the juice was stout, and and Ray he just meticulously just worked his way through the field, and lo and behold, once he got the lead, it was over. Then he he had a clear track and and, and had it going. Like I say, hands down, uh, Don and Billy Gibson. I mean, they just just really really good people i mean it really look forward to going out there i don't know if you ever got to go or not but it's uh it's it's a it's a jewel no doubt no sir no sir i haven't been out there but 
the uh, West Plains Motor Speedway has been reopened here recently in the last couple of years, and they've call it, they're have they calling it Legit Raceway Park. And I don't really agree with that. I really think it needs to go back to West Plains. I mean, that's what I still call it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It'll always be West Plains. That Lucas Oil Speedway out there is one I've got on my radar I'd like to get to. That's a super nice facility. Well, uh, to me, uh, Tom Helfridge up there at Tri-State Speedway is, is, is a jewel, too. I really, I really like that hop start racetrack and another another jewel that i really liked and, and we we really liked going to was cedar lake up there in wisconsin yeah cedar lake's a track that's came up in a lot of conversations here so far on this podcast a lot of guys i hear a lot of good things about that place and i've never been there either yeah and that, i mean it, that it, it's just like going to eldor it's just got that atmosphere about it you know, I mean, the people, what I uh, would get a kick out of up there, they, they'd bring their living room suits with them, you know, and just <laughs> set up, and just set up their couches and their, and their television and stuff, you know, I mean, just it really, really laid back, you know. That's how you enjoy it right there. What about Pennsboro? I know you went to Pennsboro a time or two. Oh, yeah, that, that Pennsboro, that, that, that was a place that you just had to see for yourself. Uh, they call it the magic of Pennsboro. Well, once you got there, you'd see, you know, it was it was something something to behold. Uh, no no lights, really no facilities. The best thing uh, to do would bring you a shovel with you, where you could just shovel you out of place in the bank to, to sit down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that that uh, that one one in nineteen ninety three. That was the last time that I was up there. Uh, uh, they it was pretty neat. They would uh, do their qualifying on Saturday at uh, Pinsboro, and once it was over, the cops would shut down Highway fifty for the haulers to get out of there. They would leave. Pennsboro and go down there uh, to West Virginia Motor Speedway and run it on, on Saturday night. Yeah, because they had lights down there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it was a big 5 eighths too. I'm telling you. That. Now, that place there, it was it, it's pretty wild. You, you'd stand up there uh, behind turns one and two when they the flagman would give the, the green flag, you would see the cars jump, then you would hear them, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I remember. I've been there. I went and uh, I've only been there one time. It was 2010 or something like that for the Hillbilly 100. And and I, and then when we were up there, we were like, man, I want to come back here one day. And then the place shut down pretty much after that, and it hasn't been open. But they are up there revamping the facilities right now, and they're going to race again in 2021. Yeah, they, uh, they've got it looking good. I've seen some pictures of it there the other day. Yeah, now that uh, you, the haulers had to go in on the backside. You had to go through, I mean, a, a horse trail to basically get to the racetrack. And uh, we was going there 
one one day and uh, was following Greg Lucas and he's going under the expressways. Oh no, Greg! And about that time, you just about imagine the top of that trailer. It just peeled it like a, a tuna can, you know. Wow. Yeah, that was that was a bad deal right there for sure. Well, Tazewell's another hard track to get into with a hauler, isn't it? Oh, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I never will get the first time that I ever went up there. We got rained out at uh, uh, Bull's Gap, and we were not going to race, just me and one of the boys that was helping us. I told him, I said, let's go up there and see what they got. Man, alive. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know what to think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Brownie, we were talking before the break there about some of our favorite racetracks we've been to and some that we may not ever want to go back to. Well, that got me thinking, how many racetracks do you think you've been to? And also, how many races do you think that you've attended over the years? I know it's got to be quite a few. Well, now that, that, that was a, a topic that uh, Cheryl and I always thought about. Says, you know, people asked about regrets. Our biggest regret, we never did keep a journal and keep stuff wrote down. Where we'd been, what we'd done, you know, and all that. And uh, getting back to how many racetracks, I, shoot, I, I, I forgot, just to be honest with you. I, I think the last time I, I counted was 120 something. Yeah. That's about how many I've been to, but a lot of, there's probably, I mean, I know there's a lot on your list that I've not been to. As well, well, and too, there, there's some on the list that's not there no more too, exactly. you know, and, and you'll never see, but yeah, now talking about uh, racetracks that you really don't want to go back to, it was, it was, it was a good time. I mean, it's just like this day and time. I mean, the camaraderie is still there going up and down the roads with, uh, with the, with these other teams. I mean, we're, uh, we uh, had this guy named Johnny Verdon, him and Bill Fry were teammates and Johnny Verdon, he called me Brown man. And he'd say, Brown man. They won't ever have to worry about me coming back to this place again. He says, I tore this page out of my atlas. <laughs> and uh, we, uh, it was, it was getting to the point, you know, we had, a, uh, you know, we were just going in the car. Then we bought us a van and then we said, well, let's go. You know, we're going to have to get a motor. So, well, our very first trip in the motorhome was uh, Glasgow, Kentucky, out of Tampa. We get up there and we pull into that place. And uh, it says on the side of these pickups, it says North American Security. And it was American, Native American Indian. I love them with their ponytails, you know. That was security for the racetrack. Well, I got to looking around. Well, they wasn't smoking out of a pipe, but they were smoking. They were <laughs> no, no, no doubt. And, uh, man, when that feature started, you couldn't even see the hand in front of your face. So 
they they had to call it. I mean, and, and what was so sad about it, Stars was up there before us, and I, I called I called Mike Swims. I said, Mike, I said, what what are you gonna get us into? He said, Oh, they've got they've got it took care of. We, we got it handled. We go off there, and like I say, they got to call this thing. Well, the natives uh, got wrestling. We had was still running radios, and Ozzy Ottman come over the scanner, and we heard him says, "Get us some law up here. They've done kicked the door in on us." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh. they, had a, they had a riot going on. I'm talking about. And we, you know, we was going to spend the night, uh, us and uh, Skip and, and Janice Art, we were just going to spend the night there and, and go on to our next race. But after that happened, we decided we might better just move right on. Oh, yeah. 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 I, I was going to ask you, uh, while we're on the, while we're still in those, in that time frame, those days, Ray Cook, he, uh, he won a few races and I've always looked at Ray as a, as a nice guy and he to this day I, he's a nice guy but i just wondered if he ever had any rivalries or run-ins or did y'all ever have to fight anybody off to get out of the racetrack well no but uh his biggest his biggest person that he he didn't want to get around was uh red farmer he really? seemed like every yeah he seemed like every time him and red got around you know each other Red would do him in. Yeah, that was that was probably his the 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 thorn in in his side. And another thing, Ray was superstitious. He did not want a number on the front of his car. Is <laughs> I've never heard of that. I figured that I didn't know that was a thing. I did yeah. not know that was a thing. Well, this is an off-topic question, but what was some of your favorite places to eat going up and down the road? I mean, whenever you travel the roads like that on the Have a Tampa Tour, and you really learn some good places to eat, don't you? Well, I tell you what, really and truly, uh, back when we were uh, with uh, Barry Wright, and I don't know if you ever got to go there and eat before it closed down or not, but uh, the Peach Blossom. Yeah, I believe Red. it's still open. And Spartanburg. Uh-huh. Yep, it's still open as far as I know. Yeah, I don't know if it's still open or not, but I can remember uh, uh, stopping at the Peach Blossom, and that would be you going there, and there would be uh, David Pearson, you know, Cotton Owens, you know. I mean, it just blowed my mind. Bud Moore. You know? Yeah, Bud Moore, yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, that was the go-to place, you know, there in Spartanburg. Yeah, going going up down the road, uh, it was barbecue. That's what I like. And uh, there, uh, we had Dirt Lake Model Magazine as a sponsor there. And uh, I had a little write-up I do uh, every issue about where where I ate at. And uh, we had this place. Uh, in Meridian, Mississippi, barbecue place that I like. And, uh, well, one day, well, I heard about it. And the first time I went, we, we pulled in the motorhome. They wasn't nobody in the parking lot. And uh, it was just an old house. 
And I walked, I walked up on the front porch and, and the door was locked. So I was turning around walking off and, uh, about that time, uh, black lady opened the door and she said, can I help you? I said, are you open? She said, yeah, we're open, but we just, uh, when ain't nobody around, we keep the door locked. <laughs> and, uh, they didn't, they didn't give you, uh, uh, paper towels or uh, napkins they give you a warm washcloth and i'm telling you you talk about good now that place i'd always try to when we pass through meridian stop stop in there uh bridges barbecue and shelby was a good one too wasn't it oh hey i'm telling you that that bridge is that sets Top notch right there. And you know, there's two two of them and I always like the one over the other though. And racetrack and, and racetrack food too, you know. I mean it, it's it's hard hard to beat uh going up there to Eldora at their at their concessions. They always always had some good stuff up there and Bud Lunsford when he had his racetrack that they had it was restaurant quality every time you you ate there. Well, we're gonna we're gonna keep on and make our listeners hungry here if we keep on. But yeah, you're right. Eldora's got some good food. One of my favorite things up there is the pizza burger and the hot cheese balls. Oh yeah, and that's like up there at uh, uh, Cedar Lake. They had those cheese curds. Oh yeah. Man, Tell him. Well, I remember the the reason I brought up food was because I remember some of those articles you did in the Dirt Lake Model magazine about the places you'd stop and eat, and I had to get that in there. I know some people out there would probably get a grin to hear that again. But after oh, yeah. after you kind of after you helped Ray Cook, you know, after into the early two thousands, there you kind of swapped over and really kind of helped get Jonathan Davenport started. I kind of want you to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, old, old, old JD. See, now, him and our son, they grew up together, same age. I mean, they went through school together and, and actually even had had some college time. And uh, we had a house ready that they stayed in uh, there when they was going to college. And so J.D., uh, there, when he started doing the late models, we would we'd buy him tires and uh, wheels and and, and guys and you know just whatever whatever we could help him with and uh there, there's this particular one time uh i just had bought him some new wheels and uh i told him i said now jonathan these ain't racing wheels these are light these are the lightest weight wheels you can get i said these are your qualifying wheels just do these qualifying only well, lo and behold, uh, the, the next race was at uh, Cleveland Speedway, the Grand Adcock Memorial. And uh, Cheryl and I, we were in the, in the booth up there uh, with Grand Adcock's dad. And uh, Jonathan, he went through all four of those wheels in one night. <laughs> <laughs> and just qualifying? They, they was qualifying wheels, but he was racing. He went ahead and raced them. Oh, he yeah. He wasn't, he wasn't listening to you, was he? 
No, no, he didn't. He didn't listen to me, but he found out why. That was like uh, when they put the dirt on Bristol in the first race. All the cars was busting wheels. Well, that was exactly why they was busting because they was a lightweight wheels and busting the centers out of But what Jonathan was doing, he was just rolling them up. You know, just rolling the rims because they were so thin. You know, right. <laughs> But helping Jonathan though, uh, he he had, had he had no wore out GRT and he sold that thing and he, he I, I told him I said now I'll try to help you get a car so he came by the house one day he said I sold that car I said all right I said what do you want he told me he said well I'd like to have a rocket I said okay so I got on the phone called Mark Richards and called uh uh. Jeff Smith and and I called a couple of guys that just uh, had had used cars for sale and they was all over over ten grand, twelve grand and I said, well, what about a Raver? Would you drive a Raver? He said, yeah. I said, okay. So I called CJ up. I told him, I said, CJ, I got a boy sitting on the couch beside me right now. He's got four thousand dollars in his pocket and he he wants a race car. Raven said, you got a truck and trailer? <laughs> I said, yeah, you got a truck and trailer. He says, well, you tell him to get his double ASS on up here then. So Jonathan went up there, spent a, over a week with him. And he brought back a brand new car. And, uh, well, he takes her down there to Volusia County during speed weeks. And uh, during his heat race, on about the third lap, he he was uh, passing Patrick Sheltra going into turn one. And about the time he was getting out of turn two, he never got Sheltra cleared, and he clipped him. And once he clipped him, he flipped end over end, side over side, just absolutely just destroyed that car. You'd think it was a Talladega or a Daytona wreck going through the infield. But once they got to him, I didn't hold up no fingers or ask him who the president was or what day it was. I asked him if he was all right. He said, yeah. I said, well, you still want to race? He said, yeah. So when he told me that, I went straight to CJ. I said, CJ, I said, man, he's down here and he wants to race. Have you got anything he can drive? He said, I ain't got nothing. I said, well, what about your car? He said, why, he won't want to drive that thing. I said, well, he does. He said, well, if he wants to, there it is. I said, okay. So CJ and I, we walked back down there to uh, the trailer and there uh, the money man was standing with uh, – Jonathan's dad, both of them were still in shock. And I told them what was going on. And uh, Bobby, uh, he he motioned for uh, CJ to come in the, the trailer there. He They both walked into the front of the trailer. Bobby opened the cabinet door open and handed him a, a, a gallon jug full of uh, white liquid. And CJ looked at me, he said, what are we going to do with this? And I said, okay. So I put it up under my arm and CJ walked beside me and we're walking back to CJ's trailer. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, Brown, 
He says, I've traded a lot of stuff, but this is the first time I've ever traded a race car for a gallon of white liquor. <laughs> oh, that's pretty cool. That's a great story. Brownie, I, I was going to ask you, uh, I was going to ask you too, uh, you had, so you kind of got Jonathan Davenport going there in his, in his career and his career really has turned into something a lot bigger than I'm sure you could imagine. And so did Ray's. I mean, you were a big part of helping those guys get their start. Yeah, uh, there's no no doubt a man would have never thought, you know, just a couple of guys from around the house, you know, that could to go and, and accomplish what they what they have done, you know, and, and really proud of both of them, no doubt. Yeah. What What are some other, what are, uh, name a few other drivers. I know I've seen your name on like David Smith's car and a few others through the years, if you can real quick. Well, uh, to this day, I think still uh, just shows you a testament of what, what people think uh, about Youngblood Concrete. Got a guy named Michael Lake up in Pennsylvania. Uh, Bobby Lake's his grandfather. And to this day, he said, as long as I've got a race car, Youngblood Concrete will be on the side of it. And it's still on the side of, of a car right now. Uh, and, and who drove the, the car before Michael was uh, uh, Doug Horton from up there in PA and uh, Jared Hawkins uh, up there in, in Pennsylvania. Uh, Brian Booth from uh, Pennsylvania, help, help Brian. And uh, if you'd ever noticed, if it was a Chevrolet, it all it only said Youngblood Concrete. But now if it was a Ford, it said Youngblood Concrete Special. That That's perfect. That answered a question that I was going to ask you, why it said Youngblood Concrete Special, and you literally just answered that for me. Yeah, that was that was the deal right there. Yeah, that's cool. I will tell you what. Uh, well, we lost a legend this weekend, Stan Massey. I wanted to get a quick Stan Massey story before we let you go tonight, Brownie. Well, we were uh, racing Hava Tampa in uh, uh, North Georgia Speedway, Chatsworth, and I don't know just exactly what happened on the racetrack between uh, the Carolina or the, the Chattanooga Flash, Ronnie Johnson and, and handsome Stan, but Stan was not too happy with uh, Ronnie and Ronnie was, we was part beside Ronnie. Well, here comes Stan. He got out of the car. He walked straight down there to where Ronnie was after Ronnie got out of the car and decked him. I mean, make the dust fly when, when he <laughs> hit the ground. And he never said a word to Ronnie. He just turned around and walked off. That's yeah. something else. That's that's a good one. Well, he'll be missed. I don't know that I ever really got to see him race a whole lot, but he uh, was def he definitely won a lot of races and track championships down there at Dixie Speedway and was a staple of that area down there in Georgia. And I know you uh, got to see him run a whole lot. Yeah, and I tell you another one we lost it. I thought a lot of uh, Nathan Dubro. Yes, sir. Nathan, the, the first the first time that uh, we went to uh, Hagerstown, we're standing in line to, to get our tickets, 
and uh, we, you know, Nathan and I and Ray, you know, had a conversation going on there, and he says, uh, "What kind of what what kind of motor y'all bring up here?" And uh, man, we were down. All we had was a steel block 355, and that was it. We our, our aluminum motor it gave up on us. And uh, Nathan, he said, what'd y'all bring up here? And uh, Ray said, little motor. He said, what, a 406? Yeah. <laughs> here we were, the three, 355 steel block. And he was calling a, a 406, a little motor, which Hagerstown is a big racetrack, no doubt about it. It is. Well, Brownie, we're out of time for today, but I, I think I'm going to have to get you back on here another time, maybe next year, and get you to tell some more stories, because I think we really only scratched the surface today, and I really do believe that people are going to enjoy listening to this, and I can't thank you enough for your time, and uh, now that you've got my phone number, stay in touch with me a little bit more, man, and hopefully we'll see you at a racetrack again here really soon. All righty, I got you. Thank and, uh, and this is us all have us a good Merry Christmas. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Brownie. We really do appreciate it. All righty. Thank you. Well, thank you for listening to the Forward Bike Podcast on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. This will pretty much conclude our first season of the show as we plan to take the next two weeks off for the holidays. So Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. We'll talk to you next year. Thanks to Ralph Shaheen, producers Wayne Owens and Mr. Bill for getting this show out for the world to hear. I can't thank those guys enough for believing in me to do this. In the meantime, you can find me at SRI Performance in Mooresville to get all the parts your race car will need to unload and get started in 2021. Thank you. Talk to everyone next year.